many of you are excited for Christmas or like me, Hanukkah, if you're from a Jewish background, Mariah Carey's already playing on the playlist, right? You didn't even wait for Thanksgiving. You're like, we've been there for weeks, all right? But we're, we're going through this mini series called Out of the Silence. For the next two weeks, we're gonna be sort of preparing our hearts in preparation, sort of this Advent season for the coming of King Jesus. And we're beginning at the beginning because that makes sense where you begin, right? We're starting at the very beginning and and before we do that, I want to set the stage contextually. See, what happens if you've got a paper Bible with you, you'll notice that in between Malachi and the ending of the Old Testament and Matthew, the beginning of the New Testament, there's this blank page. Anybody see that blank page? Now, that blank page is representative of something. That blank page represents what's called in theological circles the intertestamental period. This is a period in which God's voice to the collective, to his people, was silent. God was not speaking through the prophets. God was not speaking through the sages. There are no books canonized in scripture. It was functionally 400 years of macro silence. I don't know if you've ever had to wait. Probably not 400 years. But they're hoping they're longing. God had promised to the prophets of old that, that at, one, at one point in the appointed moment, the Mashiach, everybody say Mashiach. It means Messiah. You didn't just cuss. You said Hebrew, Messiah, the anointed one, that he was going to come and he was going to free God's people from oppression and tyranny, that he was going to wipe tears from eyes and bring peace on earth, all these amazing promises. And then it was a decade and then it was two and then it was three and then it was four and then it was a hundred, two, three, four hundred years. And they're waiting and longing for Messiah. And then comes this little baby, Yeshua. We know him in English as Jesus. So would you stand on your feet with me as we enter into the story with, I'm hoping a little bit more context and emotions of the moment to help it make sense in our modern mentality. This is Luke chapter two. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to verse 22. And if you don't have a Bible, we've got it up on the screen for your viewing enjoyment. Miami Dolphins fans, we are hopeful. Listen, you can have a bad game. How can you bounce back? That's what I'm saying, right? Come on. Let's talk about Jesus. Everybody said amen. Some of y'all are like, thank you. Listen, every good and perfect gift comes from God, including football. Verse 22, when the time of their purification according to the law of Moses had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him, who? Jesus took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. If you're like, what in the world is Deuteronomy and Leviticus stuff? Basically what you need to know from here is Jesus's parents were devout Jewish God fearers and they were poor. That would have why the, it means about the offering. God chose to be born in humble circumstances. What does that tell you about God? That'll preach all on its own, but we'll keep going. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called, say it with me, Simeon. Fascinated by this dude, Simeon. I don't know if I've ever heard a sermon on Simeon. You're about to hear one this morning. There was this devout, God-fearing man named Simeon. He was righteous. He was devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting for the Messiah. He was waiting for the promise and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. 
By the way, intertestamental period, we don't have any new prophetic revelation or canonized book, but apparently God's still speaking. That'll preach to people who are still seeking. But he heard from the Lord a promise. Verse 27, now moved by the spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms Praise God. This is how you know it's like ancient context. You try to go ahead and grab someone's baby randomly in a baby dedication at church. See how that turns out for you. But apparently they rolled like that. It's how we do in a lot of our cultures, actually. Took the baby, praises God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles or to the nations and for glory to your people Israel. And the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Lots there to unpack that I think will encourage us. I'm hoping by the end, let's pray. Jesus, speak through your word and accomplish the purpose that you have set out for it in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor, give him a high five as you find your seat. Let him know it's gonna be good. Just by faith, you know, you're hoping. Uh, how many of you here in the room, maybe online over in Guyana, how many of you love waiting? Show of hands. How many of you love, y'all, for real, for real, love it? No, I don't know. You can't lie in church. How many of you like waiting? How many of you know what waiting is? Like anybody, like just lower the threshold, okay? Uh, my wife, Nancy, and I are very different. If you have ever met us, you know that to be the case. Uh, opposites attract, and we are very different people. And uh, one of the ways this difference manifests in the way is in the way that we deal with new things, namely new clothes, shoes, or accessories. I am of the persuasion, and maybe you can relate to me, that if you have something new, you have to write, wait for the right moment to bring it out. Anybody like me, you're like, listen, you just can't go willy-nilly and toss it out in any moment. That's an antiquated phrase. You just gotta have the right moment. Like, I'm not just waiting for Kronos. I need the Kairos time, like we heard on the announcement video. I need the appointed moment where it seems right to bring out the new shirt. Now, some of y'all are rolling your eyes because you're like my wife. You're like, when's the right time to bring out a new something? right now. You're like, did I buy the shoes at the store? Then they are mine. I will wear them out. Thank you very much. You're like, the right time is the now time. Now, my, our two children, we have a six-year-old and a three-year-old. Our two children seem to be of the Nancy persuasion when it comes to this reality. It was not long ago, and Liam had been gifted a pair of Spider-Man hats and gloves and mittens for his little uh, our rendezvous in the frozen tundra of Nashville because that's what freezing is like when you live in South Florida. And um, he had just gotten these things. And so we were in the process, it was like bedtime. So we're trying to get the kids ready for bed. And uh, we're there and sweet little Lucy, it's like she, she moves at her own pace. You know, she meanders through life with a smile on her face, just you know, doing that thing. And so we're trying to get Lucy meandering towards the bathroom for toothbrush time. And all of a sudden Liam busts into the room saying, look, I'm in the Himalayas wearing the hat and the scarf and the mittens because apparently South Florida air conditioning is as cold as this boy can imagine of the Himalayas. Don't know where the Himalayas came from, but he said, look, I'm in the Himalayas. He could not wait a single day. He had to put on those things right now. If you ask many of us, you're like, the right time for the right thing 
is right now. And then you meet God. And he doesn't seem to operate on anybody's timetable. Can I get an amen? Like God operates on a completely different time frame and calendar, it seems, than the rest of us. God, he's on his own time frame. Now, if you've walked with him for any journey or period of time, you have come to learn that his timing is far better than ours, amen? But it makes it nonetheless frustrating, disorienting, and if we're being truly circumspect in church, painful at times. During this Book of Job series, we sort of dialogued on this question of what do you do when when it seems like God is doing bad things? What do you do when it feels like God is bringing about pain and suffering and hardship in your life? What do you do when it feels like God is bringing bad things? But I feel like the beginning of the story begs a different question and sometimes a more puzzling one. It's one thing to wrestle when God is seeming to do bad things, but what do you do when it seems like God is doing nothing? What do you do like for these devout religious Jewish people when you're waiting decades, which turn into scores, which turn into centuries, generations upon generations, where God, if we're being honest, it's not just ancient context. In our modern context, feels distant, silent, or altogether absent. What do you do? And this morning, there is a Real profound encouragement and a powerful reminder in this story of Simeon. I was struck this entire week as I sort of looked at afresh, with fresh eyes, this story of Simeon. Because if last week, if you remember from last week in the Job series, if last week was about, remember that metaphor of Liam on the tube and sometimes all you got to do is what? Hold on. If last week was an encouragement to hold on and not let go, this week the question is, okay, pastor, that sounds great. So what do I do while I'm holding on? Enter Simeon. And I want to look at it together. Here's my big idea, and we'll unpack this together, and then we'll go grab some lunch and watch the Dolphins win. Here's a big idea. Even when things feel silent, the king is on the move. Even when things feel silent, even when God seems absent, even when it seems like you've been left to your own devices, and if you're being honest, I deserve it. Even when things feel silent, the king is on the move. I'm fascinated by our guy Simeon in this story, and I think we have lessons to learn from his faithful example. Let's dive in. Point number one. Here's what you do when you're holding on and not letting go. We look at those who faith and good promise inherited. We look at Simeon. Simeon was expectant, number one, and abiding. Point number one, Simeon was expectant and abiding. We'll start in verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. We learn later that he had been promised that in his lifetime, He would get to see the culmination. He would get to see the Messiah. He would get to experience in his real life. And we know that after he did, he was basically like, all right, Jesus, you could take me now. So chances are he had waited quite a while and was late enough in life that he's like, thank God, I'm ready to go. All of our wise ones say maybe almost amen. Simeon was ready. And I'm struck here because Simeon was active and persistent and expected in his abiding. Like Simeon continued to seek, 
and seek and seek. I don't know about the rest of you all. Like it could be a few quiet times. We talk about, man, what we want to be those that are God seekers that abide. We're starting off the, the new year with 21 days of prayer and consecration and fasting towards the end of it. Like, I don't know about the rest of y'all. It could be a few days or weeks of quiet time and I'm not getting the goosebumps and I'm like, what's the point? God, where are you? Simeon spent a lifetime, a lifetime. No prophets, no miracles, no glory cloud. And yet he still continues abiding in God's word as he senses apparently that still small voice with him. Simeon was expectant and actively waiting. By the way, this is the definition in Hebrews of faith. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we what? Do not see. Simeon was confident that God was gonna do it and that what he was doing was not just talking to the walls and wasting his spiritual time, but that it was actually doing something and he continued and persisted time after time, hopefully looking to the coming fulfillment of promises. Now what we're told here is that Simeon had a specific promise, namely that he would not die before he got to see the fulfillment of this Messiah, these messianic prophecies come to fruition. But he's also clinging as the Jewish faithful in his time period to many prophecies in the Old Testament about the Messiah. This is fascinating as we look toward Chrismica and tie together this sort of singular thread of God's revelation to his people. I want you to hear some of these promises. In Isaiah 42, the prophet Isaiah says, here is my servant, speaking of the servant of the Lord, of the promised Messiah, here is my servant whom I uphold. My chosen one in whom I delight, I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. And in his teaching, the nations or the islands will put their hope. In Daniel 7, Daniel speaks of the same coming king. In my vision at night, I looked, Daniel said, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power, and all nations and peoples of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Does that sound like anybody you've heard about before? Right? You're like, I didn't know they talked about Jesus. They did. The whole story's about Jesus, in fact. They would have been clinging to promises like Isaiah 53, where he says, Surely he, the Messiah, the Mashiach, he took our pain, he bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, each to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And finally, one of the passages that Jesus himself stood up and proclaimed and clarified what it was about all along. He said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captors and release from darkness for the prisoners. Simeon in spite of all, I'm sure, frustration in the timeliness or lack thereof of God is abiding. He's spending time with God. He's spending time in his word. He's clinging to his promises. And then he sees the glory of God in the face of a little baby named Yeshua. That was for you, mom. Jesus. 
Now, we've heard the story before, and so you're like, yeah, yeah, that's cool, that's cool, that's cool. But I want you to step back for a second and read it like it's true, because it is. Like, what would make a man who's most likely old in years come to the point where he's been waiting for a promise from God for his entire life, and he sees the face of a baby, and he's like, okay, you can take me now. Like, have y'all seen babies before? Like, some of them are very cute. I'm just, listen, your pastor keeps it real. Some of them, I'm like, this is a beautiful extraterrestrial that at one point will probably look more human and be glorious. But like, the face of a baby is not something to be like, yep, the rest of my life, all worth it. What's happening here? I'm just, some of y'all are like, man, you're a horrible, okay, pray for your pastor, okay? Stop judging me. God's gonna judge you back. What's up with the face of, what, like seriously, entire life waiting and you see the face of a baby and you're like, okay, you can take me now. I'm like, can I at least see him become a teenager? Because God knows we have cute little kids that become teenagers and whoo, Lord have mercy. Like, can I at least see, what was it that let Simeon say in the moment? He literally says, what is this? He, He literally says, basically, I can die a happy man. He says, oh, look, Lord, you promised, moved by the spirit, went to the temple. He said, God, you can dismiss your servant in peace. He's like, all right, God, mission accomplished. You can take me now. What in the world here? This is huge. Scripture says, taste and see that the Lord is good. That means have experiences with God that allow your mind to correctly move in advance and determine his character and faithfulness. Is it possible that Simeon had tasted and seen so much of God as he was active, persistent, and enduring in his faith and his time with the Lord that all it took was a glimpse. And he knew it's all true. I'm good. Don't you wanna see the end of the movie? Nah, I already know. It's gonna end great. I know the director. I just need a little sneak peek. Look at that example of faith, y'all. I was simultaneously encouraged and humbled (laughs) looking at this man who all it took was a glimpse of little baby Jesus to be like, oh, it's all, Lord. I I mean, I knew, I was believed, I thought, but it's all true, it's all true. You can take me now, I'm good. And we're reminded of this truth. For the decades, centuries, and hundreds of years that seem to be silent, Even when things feel silent, the king is on the move. The king is on the move. Simeon was expectant and abiding, but not just that. Point number two, the second lesson to take away from this human, ordinary, flawed, but faithful. He was not just expectant and abiding. He was also active and obedient. Active and obedient. How many of your children were perfectly obedient from birth? That's what I thought. Uh, I have an amazing, amazing son who is very lovingly creative in his obedient processing of information. Let me explain. It was one evening, and our children have a bedtime because that is great for their development and awesome for mom and dad. Can I get an amen? So we put our kids to bed, and I'm like, listen, son, you can read in your room. You can put a little book light in there. He, he loves to write. He's got, like, multiple journals already at this point. I'm like, Liam writes all this stuff. I'm like, I don't know. He's, he loves words. I don't know where that came from. But he's like, I was like, you can write in your journal. You can do whatever you want, son. As long as you stay in your bed, have a blast. Mom and dad are going to hang out. And so he loves it. It's great. It, everybody wins, right? 
Until one evening, I heard what sounded like a stampede in Liam's room. And I was like, what in the world? And I'm hearing stuff banging around and, and toys moving and stuff clanging. And I'm like, what is this kid doing? And so finally, I go into Liam's room and his bed is covered in toys. Like it looked like a toy store vomited on his bed. Like it was toys galore. I'm like, son, what did dad tell you? This boy. He said, dad said I could not get out of my bed. I said, exactly. He said, I didn't get out of my bed. And I looked at his toy box, which was conveniently located where he could keep one leg on his, I'm kidding you not, on his bed. Some of you are like, yeah, that's a, this is sowing what you're reaping. This was me, right? One leg on his bed and he could stretch to get whatever toys he wanted and pull it. He's like, dad, I didn't get out of my bed. So I, let, I was like, I'm gonna give you that one. I let the toys on the bed. I just thought that was clever and then moved the toy box promptly the next evening. Uh, but, but I think we all like Liam's are guilty of creative obedience, selective obedience. God, I know I heard you, but I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna kind of like do my own version of what you said. By the way, that's called disobedience, but anyways. So, so we're, we're all a little bit like Liam in that regard and, and we feel that, that temptation, right? It's, it's the proclivity in the human heart. We're all very tempted to hear, but not obey. Step one is you've gotta hear, right? If, if Simeon's not expectant and abiding, he has no opportunity to hear the words of God because he's so busy or distracted, he can't even hear it. But if it just stops there, if all Simeon does is hear and not obey, well, we have a very different story, don't we? It's very tempting to hear and not obey or obey in theory or obey half-hearted or keep our leg in the bed while the rest of our bodies are out all about. Woo! but not Simeon. Look at verse 27, it's so easy to miss. How did this whole supernatural experience happen? Obedience. Verse 27 says, Simeon, moved by the spirit, went into the temple courts where he sees the parents and he sees the baby and he grabs the baby and he prophesies, God, take me now. How does it start? Moved by the spirit. Now track with me for a second because I think this is very, very important in our modern moment here as a culture. Imagine, we all know the story, right? Simeon does it and it's like, oh, but, but it's so easy to skip those few little indicators of the story. That is the story, friends. Simeon, moved by the Spirit. Imagine if Simeon, he just got frustrated and he gave up and he never heard. Or imagine if Simeon was sitting there abiding at his feet and when the spirit said, go into the temple, he's like, man, you know those temple people, they judged me last time. Man, you know those temple people, I, that's not, I don't really like singing in public. Man, you know, imagine if Simeon came up with some sort of an excuse that even seemed half-heartedly reasonable and he just didn't show up that day. Keep, keep tracking with me. And then let's imagine that Simeon grew disappointed. And as tends things to go, his things tend to go, shoop, flip that. As things tend to go, Simeon's disappointment went to disillusionment. And as the years went on, despair, ultimately frustration, bitterness, and anger. And then Simeon, late in life, because he did not have a Lord take me now moment, 
he passes on this bitterness, this resentment, this frustration to those around him because we'll teach what we know, but we'll reproduce who we are. And Simeon's children and grandchildren end up inheriting his wound, his bitterness, his frustration, and he leaves behind, he dies old and tragically embittered in heart and leaves behind a generation of people who say, man, God promises, but he doesn't deliver. When all along what would have been lacking in the story was not God's faithfulness, but Simeon's follow through. Is that at least a possibility we can ponder in our modern context? Is it possible that you and I, some of life, I mean, is just disappointing, heartbreaking, crushing. But can we get a gear that would lead us to say, God, I wanna sit at your feet and I wanna hear you speak and I wanna listen to your words and I wanna cling to your promises and I wanna be available when you speak and when you do, I want to follow your voice and obey because I'm more concerned with missing what you're up to than looking stupid if I step out. Imagine if Simeon, as prompted by the Spirit, didn't go into the temple. What we see is that even when things seem silent, God was on the move. Even before there was the book of Matthew. There was God working through the heart of a man named Simeon. There was God, Simeon. There was God working through the heart of a man named Joseph who was betrothed to a virgin named Mary. There was God working all behind the scenes as you see the overwhelming. I just read you a few. There are hundreds of these amazing supernatural prophecies about Jesus that come to fruition 400 years later, but were there some of them for thousands of years. You talk about someone playing the long game. God is always playing the long game. And what if we, like Simeon, in our imperfect, by his grace, abilities could say, God, I want to be expectant and abiding. And then when you speak, active and obedient. I think it really does pose the question to us, friends. So often I, I hear from people I felt from myself, man, there's so much fun if you just like do what everybody else does. Like sin, how many of you guys know like sin is fun? And it's not sacrilegious to say that in church. It's true for a season, but it's end is death. Like, man, every, there's so much I'm missing out on if I follow the way of Jesus. Like, kind of. When you start experiencing there's so much I'm missing out on reality, it's not because you're following Jesus. It's probably because you stopped. Because he's always working. He's always moving. And life with him is this adventure. And the question is, are we expectantly waiting to hear? And then we are, are we active and obedient to follow? Here's my application point. I'm praying that you and I, motivated by the grace of God and the adventure he has for us, would commit in our hearts to be a Simeon, that you and I would be a Simeon or a Simeonina. Y'all know what I'm saying. That we would be... A Simeon, that we would be those who abide. Who, some of y'all just caught, oh, I caught what you said. Who abide, who, who lean in, who meditate on his word, who listen in for his voice. Listen, this season, it has all of the potentiality to be amazing or horrible. 
depending on how it goes. Like that we would be those that don't let the holiday season drown out his voice. Like what an interesting time in which the mantras running, echoing throughout the halls of the malls are peace on earth and goodwill towards men. Y'all know you don't find that in the mall though, right? Like, like you don't find peace on earth at Sawgrass Mall on the weekends in December. Can I get an amen? Do y'all know that? Like, have you tried that experiment? That's called hell. That's what you experience there at Sawgrass Mall on the weekends in December. What you get peace from is the Prince of Peace. And you get to choose whether you spend enough time with him to receive it. What if we decided to do the holidays different? What if we decided that all the greatest hopes and longings of our hearts were not gonna come haphazardly through family members suddenly acting cherubic like they've never acted before in the history of your experience with them. And it actually was gonna come not from position, but from a person named Jesus, who's the Prince of Peace, who promised my peace I give to you if you take it. What if we decided to be Simeons who sat at his feet, expectant and abiding, and then when he speaks, speaks, spokes. We obey. We step out. We go for it. We share. We pray. We encourage. Imagine what that could be like. I bet it'd be amazing. You're totally right. I'm praying that like Simeon, we would be those who seek his face and trust our God, that we would be Simeons who seek his face and trust his heart, even when you can't see his hand. I'm gonna say that one again. This is what I find so inspiring about Simeon. Simeon is one who seeks God's face and trusts God's heart even when he does not yet see his hand at work. This is what it means to walk by faith. This is what it means to be people who are captivated by the love of God and trusting in his promises, seeking his face and trusting his heart even when you can't see his hand. Why? Because even when things feel silent, the king is on the move. I'm telling you, even when things feel silent, the king is on the move. I don't know your circumstance. I'm just letting you know he's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. Even when the king, when things feel silent, the king is on the move. It feels like it's been a decade. It feels like it's been generations. It feels like it's been hundreds of years. Great. Welcome to the intertestamental period of your life. Even when things feel silent, what? King is on the move. It's good news. I'm going to land it here. This is the gospel. I shared this a few years ago, and many of you know this, but my father passed away unexpectedly of a stroke several years ago, and, and as unexpected deaths tend tend to be. It was tragic and heartbreaking. I never got to say a final goodbye. He had a catastrophic stroke and, and never regained consciousness. And in the moment of it all, really all you feel is the pain, and that's, that's what it means to be human. But as we continued, and I had an incredible community, our microchurch was like awesome. Oh my gosh, if you're not in a microchurch, please get in a microchurch. Like, when life is good, it's helpful. When life hits rough spots, it is life-saving. Our microchurch just rallied around Nancy and I. I mean, they were just, they were incredible. And I remember as I, I, I tried by his grace just to, just to remain, just to abide, just to stay there. Ephesians 6 gives the vision for spiritual warfare. It says, put on the helmet, get the sword, get the shield, having done everything. I love it. Just stand. Like, can you just stay? Just don't run away. It's so encouraging to me that that's God's zenith of human accomplishment. Can you just stick around? <laughs> I'll do everything else. 
just don't run away. So I was just standing, and, and I started thinking about what our plans had been, you know, and, and, and the seeming silence of the Lord. We had plans to come down to South Florida. We were going to be here for two years, and then we were going to go and church plant in Jacksonville. Those were our plans. We had a neighborhood picked out. We had an area where we were going to be. We were all set and ready to go. This was our in-between stop on our way to Jacksonville, and then it didn't happen. And we fell in love with this church and with some of you people. And we're like, God, okay. And we had plans to hand it off to a successor and no successor materialized. materialized. And we had plans to move on and nothing happened. And, and we're like, God, what are you doing? And he wasn't saying anything, but we didn't feel peace to go. And so we're like, well, if we can get a house in this crazy market, you know, it'll happen. And things were, are really crazy now, but they were already crazy then. And then we got a house. And we're like, okay, we're staying. And we didn't really know why. God, to be honest, seemed mostly silent on the matter. We got a house five minutes down the road from my parents and they hung out with my son Liam multiple times a week. And then two years unexpectedly in great health, having just beat cancer, my dad has a massive stroke and dies. And it's often only in rewind that God makes sense to our human minds because he's so much bigger. And I realized if I would have had my way. We would have moved to Jacksonville. The last two years with my parents would have been, we'll see you maybe once, twice, three times a year if we're lucky, spread across the very large state of Florida. And then my dad would have passed with very little memories in his grandchild's heart of pop-up. And all the while, while God was seemingly silent, you know what the king was doing? He was on the move. He knew because he cares. And I don't know what your story is and what your situation is, but I need to let you know that even if things seem tragically silent and God seems blaringly absent, he is not. The king is on the move. What Simeon saw as a baby, we now know in fullness. Little baby Yeshua turns out to be Messiah Jesus who heals and restores and delivers and redeems and dies and then conquers death and resurrects and brings life and flourishing to everybody. We know the fullness of what Simeon only had to glimpse and be so excited about. He was ready to be done with earth. We know the whole story. Listen to how Simeon prophesies it. He says in verse 30, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for the sight of all people, a light of revelation for the nations and for glory to your people Israel. Friends, this is who he is. This is who Jesus is. In two weeks, we have this little Christmaca service we're doing. By the way, overwhelmingly the largest attended service we have ever done when Christmas and Hanukkah collide from people in our lives that are spiritual but not religious. If you've got a coworker, a friend, a neighbor who fits in that category, like, yeah, I don't really ascribe to one religion, but I'm very spiritual. Chrismica is the perfect invite. We get people every single time we do this that are like, you know, I've never even been to church before in my life. I'm not like a religious person, but this sounded intriguing. I'm like, great. And I'm gonna preach a message about the gospel, the story of God's redemption from Genesis to Revelation through the imagery of light. And we'll do Hanukkah and Christmas story and kids things. We'll do all sorts of stuff. Here's my encouragement. The same reality that Simeon said, God, you are the light to the nations and restoration to the people of Israel. That's still who he is. It is still his reality. The question is, do we love him enough and do we care enough about people to, to give someone else a shot to experience that? 
we gave you two of these cards in the hope that you would be motivated by love of God and love for your friends to invite somebody. What if they say no? Okay. Maybe they watch online and they don't tell you and they're like, well, that was kind of cool. I actually might come. And by the way, that's happening all the time. You invite a friend, they don't show up, but they actually do show up online. And then eventually they tell you and then they get, they're like, hey, can you pray for me? And you're like, what? Where did all this happen? Even when things seem silent, guess what? The king was on the move. Give him a shot. Give him a shot. Give him a shot. We're gonna close here. And maybe you're at a point where you, you need to experience this hope for the nations, this light for the nations, this glory of his people Israel, this Jesus. Here's the great news. He is the same Jesus. He is exactly the one that Simeon believed him to be and then some. And he's here and present with us now and he's available to any who call on him in truth. Would you join me as we pray? You can bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment of quiet and privacy. If you're here this morning and you need rescue, you need this salvation, this rescue, this hope, this light, this glory, it is all found in Jesus and you can respond this morning. If you're here and you say, Jesus, I I need you. I need this hope. I, I, I need this restoration. I need this light. I need this rescue. I've tried to do it on my own. It has not worked. I am at the end of my rope. I'll try anything. His name is Jesus. He's the hope of the nations. Wherever you're at in the room, in Guyana, online, I'd encourage you to open your heart to him right now. It could be something as simple as Jesus, you have my attention. I'm listening. I trust you. Help me, teach me to follow you. When you hear God speak, the right response is a response. You move, you act just like Simeon. You you go, you say yes, you respond. Maybe you're here this morning, you need to respond for salvation, for rescue, for glory. It's all found in Jesus. Maybe you need to respond and receive prayer for encouragement in the midst of the waiting. Maybe it's felt like a season where God has been silent or absent and you know the truth intellectually, but it could be encouraged into your heart emotionally and spiritually. We would love to do that and pray with you and for you. Maybe you want boldness to be his witness in this season where baby Jesus is on everybody's front lawn and he's front of mind to give a shot in the moment and culture to let God move in someone's heart and life. Whatever the case might be, we would love to pray with you before you go. So I want us to close like this. Why don't we stand to our feet? And if I could get our prayer partners up here to line the front, if you need to respond in any sort of a way, I am encouraging you before you go out the door and spend the rest of your day to be a Simeon and respond. We've got some incredible leaders up here, prayer partners that are from all different walks of life, cultures, backgrounds, ages, races that, that have experienced God's love and power just like this. And they carve out their time as volunteers every single week to pray with and encourage anybody who wants it. And we'd love to pray with you this morning. Online, you can request prayer in the chat and we'll connect with you and figure out how we can help you on your faith journey. But let's close our time together 
culminating in worship. And if you need or would like to receive prayer for anything, whether to give your life to Jesus, to recommit your time, to ask questions about God, faith, or spirituality, or receive prayer and encouragement, we would love to pray with you. You're welcome to come now as we close in song.